This morning we start a new series. Uh, last week we finished out the series that we've been talking about, apologetics, what we believe and why we believe it. Uh, every Sunday could fall under that same guise or guideline. Uh, we talk about what we believe and why we believe it every Sunday. Uh, today we start a new series which is on the book of Hebrews. And uh, the focus that we have in this series is taking a look at Jesus, specifically in the book of Hebrews. It's a really dynamic book. Um, it has a lot of good information for us. It was written to uh, the believers in the days of the New Testament in that time when the church was just coming to life. And it's really a treatise of our faith. It talks very specifically about Christ. And today the focus specifically throughout the series will be about Jesus Christ being better. Amen? Do you believe that today, that he's better? Amen. He's better. In fact, anybody in here love English? Okay, one or two of you weirdos. Okay, yeah. If you, if you know English or you've ever appreciated uh, some of the learning that you've done in English class, you've learned about something called a superlative. Now, a superlative in layman's terms means the superior quantity or the extreme degree of something. So here's an example. If you say something is good, something is better, or something is best, something that is best is better than all the rest. Amen? How many of you remember that commercial, Like a Rock? No, that's not the right one. What's the one? What's the one? Nothing like the best. Anyway, it's escaping my mind at the moment. But if you're the best, that means there's nothing better than you. Some of you might think that the teams you watched yesterday are the best. I don't know if the one I watched was the best. They won, but it's okay. Uh, my team did win on, on Thursday, but we're not talking about football today. But if we were, I would say to you, the New England Patriots are the best, okay? Just, oh, no, no heckling, no heckling, okay? I'm sorry, I know it's hard for me being in Mississippi and uh, rooting for the Patriots. Uh, but uh, if you talk about something that's the superlative, then that means there's nothing else that compares. In our, in our layman's terms, we would say it means that it's superior, far superior. So if something is great, that means it's great. But if you say it's the greatest, this is the greatest meal I've ever eaten. This is the greatest movie I've ever watched. This was the greatest date I ever went on. Then that means there's nothing better than that. What I've come to tell you this morning is that Jesus is the best and he's better than all of the rest. He's better than Moses. He's better than Abraham. He's better than the old covenant. He's better than everything that would ever exist in this world. Jesus Christ is better. He's far superior. Amen? He is the truest definition of a superlative. If we could break it down, we would say that he is the superlative of all superlatives. He is the top He's better than the angels, the Bible declares. He's better than the prophets of old. He's better than the priests who served in the tabernacle. He's better than the kings. He's better than any king who's ever reigned on this earth. He's better. His new covenant is better than the 
Old Covenant. It's based on better promises. When he gave the Old Covenant, when God gave the Old Covenant, made a covenant, he made a promise with Abram. He said, you will have many descendants. It's going to be numbering more than the sand of the sea. You'll be blessed. A nation will come out of you. Well, out of that came Jesus Christ, who now bases our new covenant on a better promise that God is for us. He's not against us. He wants to be in our life and intimately involved in our life. The Bible says in Hebrews, it's kind of strange. I've heard a message about it before, and I may preach about it some other time, but it talks about the blood of Jesus Christ being better than any other blood. It says that the blood of Jesus Christ even speaks a better word than the blood that Abel spilled out. Abel being innocent and guilty of nothing, no wrong. It says that Jesus' blood is better than the blood of bulls, than the blood of goats, any of the sacrifices that have ever been given. The truth is, He gives us a better hope than they had back then. Amen? Because now, our hindsight being 2020, when we have the totality of Scripture before us, we can see the glory of God given through Jesus Christ to us. He offers us a better hope. In every way and at every turn, Jesus is better. There's none like him. There's none beside him. And I would say that there are none even worthy of being in the same category as him. He does not belong in the group of other religions in the world because he's better than all of those things. Amen? He's better than any of the others that people would look to for worship or adoration. He is better. Are you getting it this morning? He's better. Amen? And I want to tell you something else, which I I don't want to jump to the last page of my notes just yet, but I'm going to tell you something specifically that I feel like the Lord wanted me to share with you today, not just in this message, but a very personally, like a personalized thought that the Lord gave me. He's better than your problem. He's not just better than the good stuff that we read about in Scripture. He's better than all the bad stuff that you face in your life. He's better than the argument. He's better than the the failed business. He's better than the hard work you've got to do. He's better than all of those things. Amen? Amen. So, this morning my message is that Jesus is better and he's better than Moses. I want to take a look at Moses this morning. As it is in the book of Hebrews, Moses appears several times. And I'm going to show, I'm going to bring up some scripture here on the screen for you. In Deuteronomy first, we want to look there. I want to show you the striking correlation between Moses and Jesus. Verse, 30, uh, verse 4 of chapter 34 in Deuteronomy. Let me read this to you before you start reading what's on the screen. Verse 4 says this, just to give you some context. It says that God allows Moses to see the promised land, but he tells him he's not going to enter it. He says, God's word from his mouth to Moses' ear, I have caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. I could preach a message on that alone about the fact that Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land, not because God just decided that day to be angry at him, but because of Moses' disobedience. What blessing are you missing out in in your life because of disobedience to the word of God? That's a challenge. 
That's a, that's a challenging thought to us. What, would we might, what could we be missing out on if we are living in a place of disobedience? You say, well, Pastor, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I know Jesus. This is good and this is wonderful. That's what we want. But here's the thing. Obedience to Him who is better than all of the rest is so much more important than anything else. It's a heart issue. What blessing are you missing out on for not obeying what God has spoken? And not just that he's going to speak a personal word to each and every one of you, but that the totality of Scripture, 66 books, are there for our benefit, and he's spoken through those to us. Verse 5 in chapter 34 says this, Moses, the servant of the Lord, died in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his grave to this day. I don't know if you caught that, but this would be, according to Scripture, the only funeral that God himself ever presided over. It says in the Hebrew Scripture, capital H, Yahweh, God himself, buried Moses. The only, only time God does something like that is with Moses. It's a, there's a striking similarity there. If you start to gather steam through this, you're going to see how much is, is important for us to see. Not just that Moses, not just that it's neat that Moses correlates to Jesus, but that we, in the afterthought of who Moses was, get to look back and say, wow, we had the testimony of Christ. Even back in those days, the children of Israel had the imagery there to be able to know that, that Christ who was coming was the one who even Moses promised. So here we are in chapter 34, verse 10 on your screen. But since then, there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. In all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, before Pharaoh, before all his servants, and in all his land, and by all that mighty power and the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. The Bible calls Moses a prophet. It says, since then, since his day, there has not arisen a prophet like him. He was not a priest. He was not a king, but he was a deliverer. We're talking about Jesus Christ being better than Moses. So here's the connection that we can make this morning. In the Old Testament, Moses actually prophesies about Christ. I don't have the screen for you right now, but if you want to write it down or go there, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. Moses is declaring God's word to the nation of Israel, and he says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen, and you shall listen to him. Then we see that the prophecy is quoted, that same prophecy is quoted by Peter in Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, Peter is preaching. Now we know the, I, I would say we know, but some of you may not. Peter, who denied Jesus Christ, now filled with the Holy Spirit, is speaking with boldness and preaching the gospel. In Acts chapter 3, verse 22 and 23, he gives reference directly to Jesus, and he says this, Moses said, the Lord God shall raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. To him you shall give heed in everything he says to you, and it shall be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. 
Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For every for this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Here, the writer of Hebrews, which some, are, some dispute, some say it's the Apostle Paul. I don't have time to tell you my thoughts about that this morning, but it's approved and spoken into life by the very breath of God. The Word of God declares about the Word of God that every bit of it is God-breathed, that it's Holy Spirit-inspired. So Hebrews chapter 3, this letter that is being read and written to those who were Hebrew people who were coming to faith in Christ, he addresses them and he says, he calls them partakers of the heavenly caller, consider the apostle and high priest of our faith or of our confession who is Christ Jesus All throughout Hebrews, we see Jesus Christ being a better high priest than any who have served before or who served after. He was faithful, the Bible says. One is counted faithful here. One is counted worthy of more glory than Moses, and that person is Jesus Christ. Inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. As I read this scripture, I began to think, you know what? I don't know that we have that same view. I don't know in today's present day and age because we look at the glory of a giant building or a monument, but we don't think about who made it. And that man, he deserves some honor. That team of people deserves some honor. It's their thought that went into the process of building. So it's saying here that yes, every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of all things. So he deserves honor. He deserves glory. I went to visit a, uh, a sick woman. You may have seen a post on Facebook. Her name is Tanya. Uh, she is a friend of a friend. Uh, she was down at the Gulf Coast, and they got her up here to St. Dominic's Hospital. She's in her mid to late 30s and had a stroke. Uh, no previous history. It was just all of a sudden um, was down for the count. So she's here at the hospital in St. Dominic's and I get a call 8 o'clock, 8.30. Hey, will you go visit my friend? I can't get there. Will you go visit her? Will you pray for her? It doesn't look good. I said, sure, absolutely. I'll go and I'll pray. So I walk into the room. The mother's there grieving, not sure, unsure. I mean, this is all in a matter of a few hours that this happens. Unsure of what's going to happen. They still don't know what the final result will be. But I believe that God is a healer. Amen? And he's a better healer than any doctor. Amen? Do you agree with that this morning? The reason why I tell you that is this. I'm standing in the lobby of the hospital and I'm kind of gaining my thoughts. 
I don't know if you've ever walked in a place blind like that, but I didn't know a single person in the room. I didn't know where their faith is. I'd never met them before. And I'm standing there in the lobby. It's all quiet. Visiting hours are over, but clergy can come in and family in the ICU is there. And I'm standing there and I look and I see a statue. I see this beautiful carving and it's Jesus washing the disciples' feet. But the the person who put this together, who dreamed this thing up, who built it, he has Jesus washing one disciple's foot and that disciple is Peter. Of all guys... Of all guys, he chose Peter. And it's significant because in that moment, I looked and there was this tiny engraving and it said who had built it and who had carved this thing. And I thought for just a brief moment, wow, this guy, he, he knows what he's doing. That guy deserves some honor for having built this thing. There's a beautiful statue on the campus of MC. I believe it's representing the same idea, Jesus washing a disciple's foot. And in that, in that, we see that there's honor to be given, not just to the item, but to the one who designed the item. And here's what I'm telling you today. God has designed your life. Do you understand that? He's designed your destiny. He has a plan and a purpose for you. It is not your own doing. It is his doing. This is better preaching than my wife is shouting. It is. Christ as a son deserves the glory. If Moses was indeed faithful in the house of God, God himself is the one who's built that house, who's built the kingdom, who's allowed us to come into it. He deserves glory. The, the end of verse 6 there is so incredible. It says that if whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. God is not dead. He's alive. Amen? We have something to shout about. We have this confidence. We've been talking about it recently. But I want to talk to you this morning a little bit more about what a prophet is. Now, I don't know what your experience is, uh, and I won't go into some crazy experiences I've had, but we will talk about what a biblical prophet is. It is one who's appointed by God himself to be a messenger. We hear that John the Baptist is walking through the wilderness, and he's saying, prepare the way. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's coming. He was a prophet. He served as a messenger to God's people from God himself. There are other prophets in scripture. We read, and there's a bunch of little books, all with their names on them, that were prophets to the nation of Israel, declaring to them the truth of God's word, talking to them about the attributes of who God is, and also foretelling the things that God had destined. I believe with all my heart that the Holy Spirit will help us know those things that are to come. The Holy Spirit was present throughout the ages in the hearts and in the lives of the prophets. So prophets in Scripture performed certain tasks. They were God's messengers. They revealed God. They spoke for God. And they communicated to people the truth that God wanted them to hear. Here is what I'm saying to you this morning. 
if Moses was a prophet who spoke for God, who was his messenger, who declared the things that are to come, who revealed God's character, who gave us God's law. Jesus Christ says that he has come not to destroy that covenant, but to fulfill it in him himself, becoming the prophet who is God himself. No longer a need for a middleman. Aren't you glad? I think it'd be kind of interesting if we had the Roman Catholic tradition of confession to a priest. It's been seven years since my last confession. These are the sins I've done. How could you remember everything you've done wrong in seven years, right? When we talk here in our church, we talk about coming to Christ and never stopping ourselves from coming back to him. Always come back to him. It doesn't matter how long it's been since your last confession. There's grace that can be applied to you. It's grace that needs to be sought. It's grace and it's forgiveness that we need to reach out for and say, Christ, will you apply this to my life? I want to be yours. Will you be mine? And you know what? (laughs) He's not like that pretty girl who turned you down at the prom. He always says yes. Amen? Amen. So prophets in scripture did this. Undoubtedly, Jesus did these same things. Luke chapter 22, verse 42, Jesus says, and you hear him over and over say that he has come to do the will of his father. Matthew eleven twenty-seven. 27, I've come to reveal the father to you. And John chapter 8, to speak the things of the Father. He said, I don't talk unless God the Father has spoken those words and wants me to speak them. That's a tall order for you and I. But of Jesus, it said that he was full of grace and full of truth. No longer needing a middleman. This is what's so incredible to me. And it should be an incredible truth to you as well. That we no longer need a middleman. We no longer need Moses up on a mountain seeking God for us. And don't be mistaken. I am not Moses. I am not seeking God on your behalf alone. I need to seek God for me. And today is not the only meal you're getting this week. Someone say amen. Amen. The reason for that is because you have a responsibility to go to God yourself. Listen to the correlation. If I, if I were to give you a reference for every single item, it would take us a few hours. But I know we've got other plans today. But I want us to hear what the difference or what the uh, similarity, I should say, is between Moses and Jesus. Listen to this list. Moses and Jesus were both chosen by God to be a rescuer of their people. Moses was born while his people were suffering under a cruel leader named Pharaoh. Jesus was born during a time where his people were suffering under a cruel leader named Herod. Very interesting that Moses finds himself hidden in a basket on a river in Egypt. Jesus and his family are told, when you leave Bethlehem, you go by way of Egypt. He was hiding, their parents, Joseph and Mary, were hiding, running for their lives so that Jesus would not be killed as an infant. The leader of the land that Moses was born in was trying to kill all the babies at that point. That's why Moses was put in the basket. The same thing is true of Jesus. 
While Moses turned water into blood, Jesus turned water into wine. Moses gave instructions to the people regarding a Passover lamb. He's in the Israelite nation or community, I should say, not the geographical nation, but he's in the community of the Israelite people. And God's word comes and God says, I'm about to give a plague on these people. And Moses says, this is what you're to do to allow the angel to pass over so that he doesn't strike down your child. He gives them instruction about a a lamb that is to be killed, whose blood is to be put on the doorpost of the house. Jesus has become, the Bible declares, our Passover lamb, whose blood, when sprinkled upon us, gives us forgiveness, absolves us of the thing that we were owed, that we owed, amen? And he gives us, he paid a debt that I could never pay, amen? It's interesting to me that Jesus has become the Passover lamb and that he died on Passover. Moses, we find Moses fasted for 40 days. I know, Mike, you act like you're going to die if you don't eat dinner. But Moses went 40 days. Moses, not God in the flesh, Jesus. Moses went 40 days in the wilderness and he faced a spiritual crisis while he was on the mountain. And I seem to remember a time when Christ, before his ministry, came to full bloom and blossom. He was was taken out by the Spirit into the wilderness. And during that time of preparation, Satan himself tempted Jesus during those 40 days. In fact, we find Jesus on a high place, Scripture says, where he was tempted. And the devil says to him, you can have all of this, I'll give it to you. Moses is one of the only people ever recorded to communicate directly with God. Jesus all the time is, is, sometimes he goes MIA. They can't find him. Well, where's he at? He's in the garden. He's in this place. He went into the olive grove. It's early in the morning. He's disappeared from their camp. He's out there and he's talking to the Father. I wonder if the Father gave him a to-do list today. You know, I wonder if the Father said to him, today you're going to meet a woman There's going to be someone who comes to touch you. And she's going to have dealt with something, an issue that needs healing for many, many years. And the moment she touches you, you're going to be healed. I wonder if he laid out his day kind of like we do and say, okay, what am I going to check off today? Moses, one of the prophets of old who performed more miracles than any other prophet. Jesus, during his earthly ministry, performed miracles. Here's something incredible, and I wish I could tap into this deeper than than I have, and I hope it for you and for our church. Jesus Christ himself is recorded as saying, and you will do even greater things than you've seen me do. He's telling that to his disciples, but it applies to us today. Moses receives. Are you with me? Are you seeing? This is a parallel, column for column. Ten commandments are given by Moses. The Bible says Moses didn't write them. God's finger came from heaven and wrote them on the tablets. Jesus, while on a mountain, declares, I will give you a great commandment, a superlative commandment. The greatest commandment of all is that you love God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And the second is just as good, that you love your neighbor as yourself. 
Moses, he was hated by the ruling party of the Egyptians. So was Jesus by the ruling party of the Pharisees. Moses twelve chose 12 leaders to follow him. Jesus picked 12 disciples. Moses sent 12 spies into Canaan. And Jesus sent 12 spies into the world to deliver the good news, amen, into the enemy's camp to deliver the gospel to the world. Moses led his people to the promised land, but didn't enter. Jesus stands in the promised land with arms open wide, asking for any who would come and enter into the promised land. Moses taught his followers how to pray. He really did. It's interesting. And Jesus does too. There's another correlation. Moses appointed 70 rulers and judges over Israel. While Jesus, if you look deep into the Gospels, you can see there wasn't just a circle of 12 disciples, but there was a larger grouping of disciples that were 70 that were appointed to the nations. The people picked up stones to stone Moses, but didn't succeed. The Bible says that God stopped the crowd because they had picked up stones to stone Jesus as well, but it says he walked right through the crowd and was out of there. Moses parted the Red Sea, and Jesus walks in the stormiest sea of your life, just like he did on the Sea of Galilee that night. Moses brought living water out of the rock. It was a symbol for the people of Israel, for them to understand and know that someday, somehow, God was going to send someone who was going to bring water, living water, to all believers, to anyone who would want. Jesus is found talking to a woman at a well, and he says, woman, if you would just ask me for a drink, I'm telling you what, you'll never be thirsty again. He was talking about that living water. The correlation is uncanny. Moses lifted up a bronze snake in the Old Testament. And in the wilderness during that time, he was given instruction to, to hold this staff up that had this wooden serpent, this bronze serpent, I should say, on this. And everyone who looked at it would be healed. Jesus was lifted up on a wooden cross and he was lifted up high so that he, whenever we look at him, would heal our sins and our sicknesses. I, 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 there's something that's been spoken before. We've talked about it before. I want to say it again very clearly. I don't know what it applies to. It might apply to a family member. It might apply just to the woman in the hospital I visited. It might apply to you. But I am here to tell you that if God can heal your sin-sick soul, he can heal your body and he desires to. Scripture says he desires to. Isaiah, when he prophesies about the one who is to come, he says that he will heal your infirmity. Continue to trust God. Continue to trust God for healing, not just for yourself, but for others. Moses, a shepherd, so was Jesus. He's the good shepherd. Here's something incredible about them. Moses, you may not remember this, but Moses is found on the top of a mountainside in the middle of a battle. And God says to Moses, you may remember it from Sunday school, I'll refresh your memory. He says to Moses, as long as you hold up your arms, you'll win victory. 
And at some point, his arms begin to fail and begin to fall. And two men come up behind him to hold his arms up. And they continue to get victory. But every time he got weak, all of a sudden, the other army would win and would start to gain and start to defeat. But as he lifted his arms up again, the victory was there. Jesus lifted on a cross on a hillside. Two thieves were there on his side. Two other people there. Jesus has subdued, not an army. He subdued sin. He subdued sickness. He subdued death. And here's the thing about Jesus Christ being better. He is not like the Israelite people who went from that battle and then found themselves 10, 20 days, 10, 20 years later in another battle. Jesus has done it, Hebrews tells us, once and for all. He's not reworking the solution, amen? He has done it and subdued sin and death and sickness. Moses, as we said earlier, foretold another prophet would come. He was speaking about Jesus. Jesus says, not another prophet, but he says, another will come who will be with you, who will comfort you who will guide you into all truth, who will tell you things that are to come, who will give you comfort. This is the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Holy Spirit. Miracle manna in the desert. Jesus multiplied bread. Moses, Moses took a Gentile bride. And I am here today to tell you Jesus is taking one too. He's taking not just a bride from his own nation, not just the Jewish people, but he in his life says, I've come to open up the door so that all could come in. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. The Bible says Jew or Greek. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter what nation you've come from. It doesn't matter your family history or your background. Jesus Christ is saying all can come in and that includes me. That includes you. Moses led the Israelites in a victory song after the victory in Egypt. That same song will be repeated. Revelation chapter 15 says they'll sing the song of Moses as a song for Jesus. There's a long period of silence in the story of Moses from the time he was a child until he became an adult. And the same thing is true of Jesus. Moses showed compassion to a woman getting water at a well. Her name was Zipporah, turned out to become his wife. Jesus shows compassion to a woman getting water at a well and tells her that that water that he would give her will help her never thirst again. Moses' mission was obviously to redeem Israel from slavery in Egypt. And Jesus Christ has come to redeem us from the slavery of sin and for us to be free indeed. Amen? Something really interesting. I don't have the scripture for you uh, on the screen, but you can write it down. Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy chapter 32 is really interesting. You can go there if you'd like to. Uh, No, I'm sorry, Exodus 32. Go there if you'd like to. This is the moment where Moses has come down from the mountain. He's been up there on vacation with God. 
He's been up there and God's been speaking to him. He's been telling him stuff. He's been setting up plans. This is all going good. And Moses starts coming down the mountain. Someone, some young buck, little guy named Joshua, comes running up and says, Dude, you're not going to believe what your brother's done while you've been gone. He let them set up a golden calf. I hate that Aaron does this, but Aaron does it. And then he blames it on the people. He says, I don't know what happened. We just started melting gold and built this giant idol. That's what he says. He says, I don't know how this happened, Moses. And here it is. Listen to this in Exodus Exodus 32, verse 30. Goodness, this is good. Now it came to pass on the next day, Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin, so now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Jesus Christ has made atonement for our sin so that no man will ever have to go again for us on our behalf, but we can come to him and say the sacrifice that you shed, the atonement for, your, for our sin that you provided back then, can I have it today? And he gives it to us today. He offered his life for the salvation of people. Keep reading. Not only does he say, perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Listen to this, verse 31. Moses returned to the Lord. Do you have a spot where you can return to the Lord? Make it a regular thing. (laughs) Moses goes back to the Lord. And I can imagine, God, what do I do? What do I do? And here he is. He says, oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book which you have written. And the Lord said to Moses, whoever sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Now therefore, go lead the people to the place which I spoke to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit for punishment, I will visit punishment upon them for their sin. So the Lord himself, verse 35, plagued the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron made. God says, I blot out those who have sinned against me. And now he says in the New Testament that through Jesus Christ, we can have our name written down in the book of life. Amen? And Jesus has offered his self, his own life for our salvation. And not just for us, not just for the Jews, not just for any certain people, but for all people. So neat how Moses rejected his lavish lifestyle, his his amazing, luxurious lifestyle of living in a palace and took a role of humility to go and be with his own people to help save them. The Bible says about Jesus that he left his throne above and humbled himself. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Are you understanding? Jesus is better. This is incredible. And how the people missed it, I don't know. I don't know how they missed it. And I don't know how people even today still miss it. But it's our job to help them find it. Amen? Moses washed Aaron and his sons before the the people. And Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. 
Matthew chapter 9, verse 20. It's on your screen. And suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. For she said to herself, if only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. Jesus turned around and when he saw her, he said, be of good cheer, daughter, your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour. If I could add something there to that quotation, if I could give you a little explanation or help you understand, Jesus was saying not that her faith exactly by itself, but that her faith in him and his work is what healed her. This is what's incredible. It's his work that makes us well. It's his work that still heals not only bodies, but marriages. It's his work in us that helps us not be timid when we want to share our faith with those around us. It's his work in us that is better than any other self-help book you could read. It's better than anything else that you could try in your own life, in your own strength. He is better. Moses uh, Moses, indeed, it says in Hebrews 3, 5, we read earlier, was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would come afterward so that they could look back. Can you look back in your life and see the thread of grace of God bringing you to the place where you are? Can you, can you think for a moment with, with amazing clarity about your life and think about how grateful you ought to be to God who has been there all along, who has never left you or forsaken you. He wants to continue to be with you. So Moses was a foreshadow of Christ, but Christ is better. He's a better prophet than Moses. He took out the middleman. I don't need to go to a middleman. I can go to God myself and this is my joy, but it's also a reality and a responsibility for me and for you. That God doesn't just wave a magic wand and do stuff in our life. He wants us to go to him, to come to him, to say to him, Father, forgive me for I've sinned again. God, would you help me have grace so Jesus Christ is better. To, to contextualize it this morning, to bring it into context for you, he's the superlative of superlatives in your life, and he should be at the top of our priority list. And because of that, because he's the best, and there is nothing greater than him, we can trust him. Amen? Because he's the best, we can follow him. We can believe in him. Because he's the greatest, and he demonstrated the greatest love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, then that means we can love him back. That means you're approved and loved this morning by God himself. This is awesome. Do you need him today? Do you need a touch from him? I love that story of healing and, and not just healing, 
but redemption. Do you, I want you to understand, and I know she has been talked about throughout the ages. I know I've preached messages on this woman, but I want you to understand, come to grips with the fact, it ate up her life. It took her finance. It took her brain power. Everywhere she went, she had to make an accommodation for her illness. And Jesus says, you're free. So he says that same thing to us. That thing that you struggle with. That thing that you're yet to struggle with. He's already defeated it. Wow. And he redeems. He makes new. He doesn't just let it die. He brings new life again. There are stories of redemption in this room. In this very room. Even if things didn't work out the way you thought they would or should, there are stories of redemption in your own life. If you look, you can find the hand of God. And you can know, you can testify to the fact and to the truth that Jesus is better. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Lord, I pray a blessing on your people today. As Moses did in the days of old, he lifted up his hands and he blessed the people of Israel. Lord, I today hold up my hands and I bless your people. Lord, as a representative for you, pastoring and shepherding this flock, I speak over these people today your blessing. Lord, that you would watch over them, that you would protect them, that you would keep them, that you would keep them on the straight and narrow, Lord, that you would help them to stay away from temptation, to say no to it, that you would help them in their life to be healthy spiritually, physically, in every other way, God. Lord, I bless your people today with the grace for which you sent your Son to purchase for us, that they would walk in this world as lights, shining your truth to the lives of others. I pray in this dark world that your people would be the light that you want us to be. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. God bless you.